Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-27. In the beginning, when we talk about do vavo, taha, uvaha, there was complete uniformity. To vavo means amazement, puzzlement. What do you see? After the Big Bang, there was such uniformity that you could see nothing. There was no information to see. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai. On this episode of Real Israel Talk Radio, I will continue with a chat that I had with Chaim Shore, retired Israeli professor emeritus of industrial engineering and management at Ben-Gurion University of the Negev. Professor Chaim Shore owns five academic degrees and has published seven books and scores of engineering peer-reviewed articles, which have all helped him with his passionate research into the texts and narratives of the Hebrew Bible to help us understand that in Scripture there is more going on than meets the eye, particularly in the Hebrew Bible book of Genesis. On our last podcast, Chaim was showing us some easy-to-miss distinctions that Biblical Hebrew makes between Yehovah's proclamations to say and to speak. On our previous podcast, Chaim showed us that there is a huge difference of expressed meaning. In other words, to say and to speak do not mean the same thing. Chaim Shur's knowledge and understanding of Biblical Hebrew is uh, certainly eye-opening and engaging. Chaim, thanks so much for joining us today on Real Israel Talk Radio. Thank you for having me on uh, this uh, podcast. Can you just give us, um, you know, as a, as a listening audience, some additional background of your academic life, which will then help us to understand what you're going to present to us here on the program? I was a professor for the Department of Industrial Engineering at Ben-Gurion University. I retired in 2015 after 37 years in academia, training engineers. And uh, as you mentioned, my area of expertise is quality and reliability engineering and also statistical modeling. I would like then to, uh, to move on to Rav Ginsburg. Rav Ginsburg spoke about good and bad, good and evil. Uh, would you please give us some of your comments and thoughts on this subject that uh, Mr. Ginsburg uh, brought to our attention, please? Good and evil, or good and bad. What Rav Ginsburg was talking about, this is the common interpretation of the fruit of knowledge, of Adam and Eve eating of the fruit of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Good and evil, but... As I understand it, the tree is not a tree of knowledge, and it's not about good and evil. And here I depart somewhat from the common uh, interpretation, but not so much. Let me first talk about the tree of knowledge. Is there a tree of knowledge in the Bible? Not at all. In the Bible, they are talking about Etz Hadat. What is that in Hebrew? In Biblical Hebrew, there is a distinction between haskala, learning by acquiring knowledge, and that, learning by experiencing. And the Bible makes this distinction 
always and return to it again and again and again. It's coming from Genesis chapter 2, verse 9 and verse 17. It speaks about the Etzadato Vera. Etzadato Vera, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, so what I'm saying, this is a, the translation to uh, a knowledge is not really biblical. Because in the Bible, there is a distinction between acquiring knowledge, which is called Haskalah, and learning by experiencing or knowing by connecting. Mm. This is that. Mm. For example, you have Adam knew Eve, his wife. Mm. And the Hebrew name is Yada. Mm-hmm. So Etzadat talks about connection. I'll give you just example. Mm-hmm. You want to learn of Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. If you want to skill acquiring knowledge, you make a search in Google and learn everything there is to learn about Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. Of course. If you want to know Mount Everest by experience, Ladat, to know Mount Everest, you have to go there and climb the mountain. <laughs> okay. So, so that this is not really about knowledge. This is about knowing by experience. So uh, you read, just uh, to assure the listeners that I'm not inventing things out of my mind, let's see how Jeremiah talking about Haskalah, acquiring knowledge mm-hmm. or experiencing Mm-hmm. So uh, thus says Jehovah, mm-hmm. let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him the glories glory in this, Haskel, acquiring knowledge, and Yadoa Oti, knowing me by experiencing, by connecting with me, that I am Jehovah exercising grace justice and righteousness in the land, for in this I delight. So said Jehovah. Jeremiah chapter 9, 22-23. So, biblical Hebrew by the tree of knowledge, Etzadat, meaning knowing by experience. But it's a mixture, is it not? It's learning by experience and mixing it with the tov, the good. Is that correct? Well, what it means is the tree, what is called the tree of knowledge, is of good and evil. But in Hebrew, it's written good and bad. So my claim is that when Adam and Eve wanted to eat of the fruit of knowledge, they wanted to be like Elohim. Hmm. Now, Elohim is the creator, the creator of law of nature. When we come to law of nature, we are not interested in good and evil, we are interested in good and bad. We want to harness the law of nature so that we'll know what is good for us and what is bad for us. And they very explicitly say, we want to eat of the fruit of knowledge so that we'll be like Elohim. But the narrator never used the word Elohim. He used Jehovah Elohim. So when I said good and bad in Genesis, it can have double meaning, good and bad in the meaning of law of nature, what is good for us, what is bad for us, or it can imply good and bad in Jehovah's sense, justice, morality, righteousness. If they said we want to be like Jehovah Elohim, it would mean they want to know the law of nature, Elohim, 
and they want to know also the divine source of morality, Jehovah. Hmm. Adam and Eve never mention Jehovah, just Elohim. Maybe humanity, its focus on trying to redefine justice and morality by redefining it according to man's ways instead of God's ways. You're right. So we come back to law and order, but there is no fear of God in this place. If we are satisfied with our own human morality, there is no morality. Hmm. I mean, the Nazis didn't justify themselves in public by presenting law and order. I mean, there is no end to it. Hmm. The source of morality can't possibly be human. If it is human without fear of God in this place, it's not valid. Such atrocities were committed in the name of human-made law. Very beautiful. Before we get off into this other question on the free will aspect, give me a summary statement, if you would, on the kavod versus kaved. How do they kind of work together, or are they, in fact, working together? Could you explain that, please? In the Bible, in the Torah, Moses asking God, show me your kavod. Now, kavod usually is referred in the Bible as glory or honor. So what does Moses mean that he wants God to show him his kavod? The root is kaf, bet, dalet. In English, approximately K, B, D. D like door. So what does it mean that Moses wants God to show him is kavod? What is kavod in Hebrew? You are aware of my distinction between two names of the leadership of God. One is embodied in the term Elohim. The other is Jehovah. When you read the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, the narrator uses only the word Elohim. Jehovah starts much later. So how will we address the two names of Elohim and Jehovah? Those are two modes of leadership that we observe in the universe. One leadership is by law of nature, creation, Elohim. The other mode is Jehovah, God as the judge of all the world, judging with righteousness, with grace, with mercy. This is Jehovah. And this distinction between Elohim and Jehovah as two types of leadership of God is very consistent throughout the Bible. When God said the verse before uh, the start of the Ten Commandments, they said, Jehovah spoke, not Elohim, because this is Jehovah, the giving of the law, the source of morality. Now, understanding this distinction between Elohim and Jehovah, law of nature, and God's intervention in the world with justice, with uh, grace, with righteousness. Mm-hmm. Understanding these two modes of God leading of his world, we can now go back to the word kavod. And here we have an insight that is really incredible. And mm-hmm. why is that? How do we see kavod in law of nature? 
So I scan words that are derived from the same root. And you know, in biblical Hebrew, if two words are having the same root, mm-hmm. I'm not talking here about gematria, the mm-hmm. same root, mm-hmm. usually a three-letter uh, root, they have to be somehow related. If you were to take the English letters S, H, and P, you can make out of S, H, and P, you can make ship, shape, shop, or sheep. But none of those words have any interrelation one to another. They don't, because English does not use the root system. But in Hebrew, if you have three letters or three sounds like kaf, bet, dalet, these three are going to produce additional words that will be interrelated. Am I getting this correct? That is absolutely right. So what other word derived from the same root? The word kaved. Heavy. What is heavy? 2,000 years ago, or earlier, when the Bible was assumed to be assembled, we knew the sensation of kaved. But today we know that kaved, heavy, reflects gravitation law. And this is something that pervades the whole world, the whole universe, the most basic force that shapes up our world, how the world is structured, Hmm. is gravitation. A kaved is the weight, what we feel when we weigh an object. But only in the 20th century, we realized that kaved, kaved, in Hebrew, it is related to the same root. So I take the word kaved as symbolizing law of nature. And it symbolizes law of nature in the most fundamental way. If you ask me, what will I consider a representative of flow of nature in the universe? Hmm. The only thing I can think about is gravitation force. You know, when you're saying kaved, okay, in Hebrew, you know, that has a very strange connection with the word COVID-19. COVID-19. Is there any relationship to that? Maybe I'm hearing things. I don't know. Avi, you are, a, you are a genius. I didn't think about it. I'm asking you, what do you think? It's just real strange, isn't it? COVID? Yeah, yeah. It is really weird. Yeah. Because this pandemic virus that's coming off of the concept of nature. It's, it's an excellent uh, insight. And uh, indeed, I wrote a whole post about the corona pandemic. And I analyzed the word corona when it is read as though it is a biblical Hebrew word. It is not. But I refer to possible root of corona. And it has to do with the occurrence. It's like everything is random. But of course, it's not random because you derive from crown and crown is king. So I refer to the word king and crown in Hebrew. And this is a whole different story. In the story of Moses and Pharaoh, Pharaoh hardened his own heart first. Then after he got to a place where he could not hear anymore, then God comes and makes it heavy. He adds heaviness to an already heavy heart. The right word in the Exodus is libo. Mm-hmm. He made his heart heavier. Mm-hmm. So what is used there is the verb to make it heavier. Mm-hmm. He gives it basically cirrhosis of the heart. And <laughs> interesting, 
that this word is used again, that when the verse point to God's intervention, again the word lehachbid, like kavod, is used to signify maybe once again that kavod represents God's leadership of his world. And you're right, it's again the same word. And the Bible specifies explicitly God intervenes. Hmm. And God intervenes with the word which symbolizes kavod. Kavod is tightly linked to kaved, which represents gravitation force, which represents law of nature. We now move to the other mode of leadership of God, Jehovah. Jehovah, the judge of all the world, as Abraham is described before uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, Kavod embodies what we observe about God. On the one hand, they are source of law of nature. On the other hand, source of morality, the judge of all the world, quoting Abraham, and the same root appears as the first word in one of the Ten Commandments. So these together really replicate the two worlds, Elohim and Jehovah, two types of leadership of God that we can observe in the universe. Kavod, the essence of this world is really not glory, but a general term to denote modes of leadership by which God conducts his world. Years ago, you spoke about Genesis chapter 1, where it uses the term tohu vevohu. You gave a beautiful answer to me many years ago, and I have since loved that answer. I've loved it. Just give us a little understanding of what that means, and we'll close here. Fine. I take this word, tohu vevohu, describe the Big Bang, the beginning of the universe. Mm-hmm. I have to make a certain distinction here. In Genesis 1, there is Haaretz and Hashamayim, the heaven and the earth, and there is earth and heaven. Now, all agree that the heaven and the earth in the first verse of Genesis relate to the universe. Haaretz in the first verse doesn't mean planet earth. Planet earth is referred to later, the same chapter, by talking about Aretz, but not Haaretz. Haaretz is everything physical in the universe, what we can observe. Now, you, you take these two words, tohu, vavohu, and you ask yourself, what are the regular everyday usage of the same roots of tohu and bohu? And here, it's really amazing, because both tohu and bohu express no information. You have nothing to see. Tohu is from the word taha. What is the meaning of all this? What is bohu? The word baha, the verb. You sit in a dentist clinic and you look purposelessly on the wall. Looking here, there, you don't see anything. You sit on the chair and bahiti. I look around, not seeing anything. Like somebody sitting in a desert. By the way, the two worlds, when you go to the prophets, they relate to these two worlds and also they connect them to a desert. Now, what is a desert? A desert is a place without any information. You don't learn anything because there's nothing to see. Tovavohu, which in modern Hebrew, and it's used also in the Bible, as I said before, expressing puzzlement, 
surprised because you look around and you don't see anything. Hmm. This is overwhelming. Unbelievable. So why is it that so many of the translation teams that are out there are translating it as chaos and these kinds of ideas? Why are they doing this? Because in chaos, it's like in a desert. There's no information. You see, you sit, and you look around, and you don't see anything. So, in a sense, it's a good reflection of the original meaning of Tov But it seems that uh, the way most people will understand it is that everything is chaotic, meaning it's like walking into a room and seeing everything just strewn and thrown about. It's mashuga in the room. It's craziness. I mean, you're so right, because we have two different concepts that uh, we have to distinguish between. But what I say is that there was uniformity. When I say that there was nothing to see, I mean that there was complete uniformity. Could we say or conclude that God loves unity, but he does not love uniformity? Excellent idea. That's why we have free will. And if we go back to the idea we talked about before, about global village. No, this is not what free will is about. Free will is about unity, right? But not uniformity. Mm. And when you consider the world with one government, one international criminal law, one monitoring fund, and so on and so forth, United Nations, you are aspiring for a global government. Uniformity. Look what happened in the European Union. There's not much that bind them together because from Brussels they demand uniformity. But you are right. God looks for unity among us. Obviously not uniformity because it goes against what is the most cherished treasure that we have, namely free will. So we are essentially in a state of entropy where we are returning back to Genesis, back to Tohu Vevohu. The Tohu and Vohu of Genesis implies the beginning of the universe when entropy was at its minimum. Hmm. Now, cosmologists say that the universe is actually accelerating. According to the second law of thermodynamics, entropy keeps growing. And if you want to call it chaos, chaos keeps growing. But in the beginning, when we talk about Dohu Vohu, a person was looking and wouldn't see anything, not because there was chaos, but because there was complete uniformity. Tovavo means amazement, puzzlement. What do you see? After the Big Bang, there was such uniformity that you could see nothing. There was no information to see. So could we say that our curse of not accepting or believing in God could be that we return to Tohu Vavohu, or we could say that he is blinding us so that we can no longer see him nor receive any information. So I'm a little bit more optimistic than you are. <laughs> well, we but are. what I wanted to say that mm-hmm. we have to remember to be like Jehovah, keeping the Ten Commandments because the bear, the singular of Ten Commandments, and devil, a plague, these two words derive from the same root as to speak. And the Bible emphasizes God can talk to us either via the Ten Commandments or to 
the plague. This is Avi ben Mordechai, and I'm speaking with retired Israeli professor emeritus of industrial engineering and management at Ben-Gurion University of the Negev. Professor Chaim Shor's research concentrates primarily on quality and reliability engineering and on statistical modeling a series of academic disciplines that he applies to biblical Hebrew research. We'll come back for the second half of our podcast with Chaim Shore and some more thought-provoking concepts that are found written in biblical Hebrew. This is Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. We're here to explore and discover insights into the ancient biblical, Jewish, and Hebraic ways of understanding and interpreting the Bible's lessons and narratives. We will return for the second half of the program after this short break. listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-27. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Thanks so much for joining me here on Real Israel Talk Radio. Our episode today continues with our focused look into biblical Hebrew and some of the many distinctions and divine aspects of what the Hebrew Bible can show us about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, let us continue our discussion with retired Israeli professor emeritus of industrial engineering and management at Ben-Gurion University of the Negev. Professor Chaim Shore. Thank you, Avi, for having me on your podcast. You've done a fantastic job on Kavod, Kaved, and all of these related ideas. I would like to move on now to the subject of randomness in the Bible for a base text. I would like to use Vaikra Leviticus chapter 26, verses 21 through 24. There is this use of the root kuf, resh, hey, kara, is that correct? Uh, kara, okay. So in the text, it says, God says, if you turn a uh, cold shoulder or a kari, because I keep thinking of the word mikarer, the refrigerator. I mean, I'm thinking about this word in modern Hebrew, and I'm thinking, wow, what if we turn a cold shoulder to Yehovah or Yahweh or however you want to put it, if we do that, does he come along and then add coldness to us in a sense? Uh, because uh, this is going to come down to the question, do we actually have free choice or free will in this world? Or are we merely seeing an illusion to free will or free choice. That's really what I want to answer here. I'm going to give it to you to take it where you want. The root of a likot or to occur or kara is kof resh hey. And Rashi, the famous Jewish interpreter, he gave two explanations. Kara, the meaning that you elaborated on, like coming from cold. Mm-hmm. And the other interpretation is a kara occurred randomly. 
Now, interestingly, there were two definitions of entropy. One was based on randomness, and one was based on the second law of thermodynamics, Mm -hmm. which has to do with the heat and cold. But these two types in uh, modern science merged into one law of entropy. It's uh, amazing. I mean, these are two concepts which are a world apart. Why would cold be connected with randomness? Hmm. But in modern science, this is the same unified concept of entropy and behold, the same word in biblical Hebrew. The same word for cold as for kara, occurred by random. Mm-hmm. So I will pursue the other pet, not relate to it as cold, but as a care, a care by random. The basic idea what uh, God warns the people of Israel on their journey from Egypt to the promised land, he says to them, Im telchu imi bekeri, v'alachti imachem bechamat keri. If you'll walk with me with randomness, thinking that everything is random, I will show you what randomness means, and I'll show you with route, with fury, because things in the world are not random. Who represents randomness in the Bible? A people called Amalek. And Amalek came to the Israelites in a, a Sinai desert, we heard what happened in the in the Bible. I'm talking about the, the last uh, book of the Torah. Mm-hmm. It says, Amalek asher karcha baderech. It doesn't say, Amalek waged war against you. It said, Amalek which occurred to you. The Bible is saying that Amalek happened upon you. He occurred to you. Yeah? Right. So that sounds quite significant to me. More, more significant than you think, because in Jewish tradition, Amalek is the culture that says everything is random. And then the monotheistic faiths say the opposite. Moses continues said, and you, the people of Israel, were tired and not God-fearing people. <laughs> hmm. What does it mean not to be God-fearing people? You go back to the conception that everything is random. So it's both the use of the word karcha baderech, which occurred to you, and then Moses describing the people of Israel as tired and not God-fearing. It sounds to me like God is saying to the people, oh, you want randomness? Okay, I'll give you randomness. You want to believe that everything is random and just sort of happens? Fine, I'll give you random and everything that happens. I like to call it a lesson in randomness. Seven times what you think. So we need to be very careful that if we start falling into the trap of thinking everything around us is based on random and luck and, oh, you know, things just happen, then we better be careful because God may just say, oh, you really believe that, do you? Well, I'll throw some of these at you and see what you say. Is that kind of the idea? Uh, This is the idea. And let me uh, give you a very interesting observation that I once made when I uh, saw on television a movie about Pompeii. Emperor Pompeii. Yeah. 
you know that this was a very corrupt city, mm-hmm. Pompeii. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really, really corrupt city. Mm-hmm. So there was a sign there that they found which said, beware, your end will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And voila, their fate was like the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. You think that everything is random? You end up like Sodom and Gomorrah and like Pompeii. But in Pompeii, they had the previous experience. They knew about Sodom and Gomorrah and they didn't repent. And I'm talking about a real observation. I'm not inventing it. Okay, so how would you answer someone who says, Chaim, I believe that free choice is simply an illusion. We are a product of our own human biology, biochemistry, environment. I have things going on around me. Uh, I did not cause these things. Uh, You know, and uh, it's just things happen, okay? Or, you know, there's another way that they put it. It's a little bit more vulgar how people say it. But uh, then the question is, well, how can God hold me accountable for things that I didn't choose? It drives my behavior. It drives everything in the world. But how can he hold me accountable for that? I can't change the cause and effect thing. So does free choice really truly exist? I mean, what's going on here? Good question. Let us separate between people who have faith, believe in God, believe in the truth of the Bible, and people who don't. I'm not judging here. I'm just saying this separation is needed. Why is it needed? Because the Bible explicitly say you have the choice and in my uh, in my post i bring many verses from the torah and from the prophets they say you have the choice between the good and evil and choose good so that you will live and your descendants so the bible is filled with emphasizing the fact that we human beings have free choice But he already knows what we're going to choose. So is that truly free choice? How do you know that he knows what we choose? (laughs) Where does it say so? (laughs) Uh, Somehow, I knew you were going to ask me that question. How do I know that we have free choice? It seems to me that he knows that we're going to choose good or evil. So why does he say choose good or evil? A little story. (laughs) I don't know. Tell your story and I'll answer it. Okay, a a famous rabbi was once asked a question. Everybody knows this question. It's very famous. Can God create a rock that he himself can't lift? You know this question? Uh, Yes, I do. Go ahead, but please continue. Okay, so what was the reply of the rabbi? Oh, God already did it. It's called free choice. Free choice is part of creation. It's inseparable. We have a choice. So this is part of the answer that you get mm-hmm. from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And this is the answer for people of faith. But let's talk about the other side. People who don't have faith and they really think that free choice is just an illusion. So I published just a few days ago a flowchart of free will. How do we decide if free will exists? And my claim is that free choice is not part of you when you are born. Because when you are born, I call it optimization problems. 
you choose so as to achieve the optimal result. Optimal for whom? For the ego. And this is like 90% of the decisions we're making in life. We want, we decide so that we get optimal results, what is good for us, what is not good for us, and where we gain the most. This is what we usually do, solving optimization problems. I always say that some of the problems we solve in life uh, can be given to a computer and it can uh, mm -hmm. uh, solve the problem exactly like we did. So what am I talking about when I talk about exercising free will? This is a scenario or a situation which is not ego-centered. The ego doesn't have anything to do with it. You have two options and you decide according to your ethical principles. A soldier in combat, mm -hmm. he can decide whether he risks his life and go into battle, into dangerous, risky circumstance and save a wounded fellow soldier. This is free choice. If it is decides to do it and risk his life, he's acting against his self-interest, mm -hmm. against his self-preservation, he is facing a free will choice. In the concentration camps, people said you lost all options of exercising free will. You heard of the author Frankel. Mm -hmm. Frankel said, no, there, is, there was one option that you could still stick to, and it is called free will. You could decide what you feel. Now, this sounds very strange, but if you feel angry, if you feel like you are exploding of anger, you can control it. Hmm. And if you control it and make a response or reaction that does not reflect anger, anger comes from the ego, but you decide, okay, I will not show anger, I control it, and I'll give a restrained response this is exercising free will. So the bottom line of what I'm saying is that we are not born into free will. We grow into it. We have to train ourselves in it. And then when we encounter a scenario that is either originally a free will or a scenario of optimization that you can turn into free will, if you are trained enough and we are growing into it, we can exercise free will. Let's suppose I am a fish swimming in a river and uh, I jump up and out of the water seeking to escape the flow of the river. Now, for a moment, as a fish, out of the stream or the flow, would you say that I am exercising free will? I'm not connected to the flow of the river. Therefore, I have free choice, free will, because I'm not in the flow of the river. If a fish jumps out of the river, probably is solving an optimization problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see, you see birds following the shortest distance when they want to move from one place to another. Mm -hmm. You see elephants in the desert and they have to get to a certain reservoir of water. They choose the uh, shortest distance. These are all cases of solving optimization problem. This has nothing to do with free will. 
we're not going to solve this theological, uh, philosophical question overnight here and even in minutes. I mean, people have been arguing about this for centuries. So it's not something I think we'll arrive at a definitive answer here right now. But at the end of the day, when all is said and done, something that was spoken in the book of Kohelet, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I believe. Here is what it says. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's what he writes. That's how he concludes the whole idea. When everything is said and done, whether you believe something is random or you believe that there's fate or there's no fate or everything is designed, whatever you believe, what does it really matter? Because in the end, says the writer of Kohelet, keep God's commandments because that is is with whom we have to do. That is really what it all is going to come down to at the end of the day. What do you think about that? This is a good question, but uh, you said whether you have faith or not, but I think this verse obviously shows faith. Mm. There is God, and you are accountable to what you are saying. And again, I relate to one of my recent blogs, Deber or Dever. Mm-hmm. In Hebrew, the two words in Hebrew, they are written the same, they are nearly pronounced the same, but one is commandment, Dibel, one of the Ten Commandments, the singular is Dibel, Dever mm-hmm. is pandemic. Mm-hmm. So this is really a choice. You are not living in a world when you are not accountable to what you are doing. So I think this is the final conclusion of Kohelet. Probably sooner or later, you'll have to give an account of your life. So regardless of what somebody may think or feel about randomness or things are this way or that way, at the end of the day, we have to understand that he is going to hold us accountable to decide whether we choose life or we choose death. That seems to be what I hear you saying. That's what it sounds like to me. It comes down to each of us choosing. We either choose life or we choose death. It's your choice because their universe is filled with design everywhere. We cannot escape it. Something along these lines. Uh, This conclusion is the one that Kohelet gives. And this is an experience that people who experienced near-death experience, this is what they say and report back to us. Mm. Any number of near-death stories, they are talking about the same thing Mm -hmm. which you summed up so beautifully. Ecclesiastes or Kohelet in Hebrew, chapter 12, 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good 
or evil. You wouldn't hear me saying that there is no randomness in the world. There is randomness in the world, and randomness is the vacuum, the space created so that we can exercise free will. If we didn't have randomness in our life, there would be no free will. So I'm not saying that there's no randomness. I'm an engineer, but usually I apply my methods in engineering applications that deals with randomness. So randomness is part of nature. We can't say that there's no randomness. And within the randomness that we experience every day, we can exercise free will. As you've made it so clear, what I understand you to be saying is that free will or free choice is baked into the creation, and it is a divine gift. So as we go through life, we can expect the events and happenings of divine design. They are not random, as we might understand the idea of randomness, or as one person might say to another person, good luck. Life is not about good or bad luck. Life is comprised of a series of occurrences and happenings which are all part of a larger educational divine training program to teach us to make wise choices for good and not bad or evil. And this is precisely what Moses said in Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today in you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Therefore, as we learn to grow into the divine gift of free will, then we are expected to learn how to use the gift for the good, which leads me to think carefully on the lesson from Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So, free will is not only a gift that has been given to each of us, but also it is a gift that has been given to all who are born into this world. That includes our sons and our daughters. The wise teaching of Proverbs 22.6 is very clear in the matter. To educate or train the younglings that is, the young ones, in the way that they should go. And what is that? It's to learn how to wisely exercise free will or free choice, according to Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. And in so doing, it will lead to them choosing life on many levels, even as it is for us also in our life. Well, then at least... When that young one grows old, he or she will not retreat or turn aside from the acquired lesson of life. That is, to exercise our gift of free will that we and our descendants may live. So I think this is the takeaway lesson that is speaking to me from all that you have spoken about in these past 
two podcasts. Okay. I think we've learned a lot on the subjects of what is biblical knowledge, what is biblical heaviness or kavod, what is the definition of tohu vavohu in Genesis 1-2, that it is not about chaos and disorder, but instead is about a puzzling scene that lacks information and distinction to define it. And finally, when God expresses something, it either is by saying something or speaking something, and the two do not mean the same thing. Therefore, when God speaks, this is asking us for a response using our free will. When he says something, that is a command to be fulfilled precisely as it is spoken. It doesn't allow for free will. And these are the commands spoken of the ten sayings in Genesis chapter 1. So with all this, thank you, Chaim, for sharing your biblical Hebrew insights with us, okay? Thank you, Avi, for having me on your podcast. I appreciate the opportunity you gave me to express my ideas, to hear your ideas. God bless you. I've been speaking with Chaim Shore retired Israeli professor emeritus of industrial engineering and management at Ben-Gurion University of the Negev. Now, if you would like to dive into more, the blog address is simply chaimshore.blog, H-A-I-M-S-H-O-R-E, chaimshore.blog. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. Be in spiritual health and go in shalom. You've been listening to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio with your host, Avi Ben-Mordechai. Visit our website at www.cominghome.co.il. Yah willing, we'll hope to see you for the next podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. 